lawsuits that have contributed to the slow rollout of marijuana dispensaries opening in New York this year appear to have been resolved as part of a Monday meeting when state cannabis regulators voted to approve a legal settlement, which is supposed to ensure that would-be retailers around the state who were issued conditional licenses can move forward with their business plans. For more on this development, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room by Kaylin Kastetter, Managing Director of the Kastetter Cannabis Group, which advises players in New York's cannabis market. Welcome back to the show, Kalen. Thank you. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to be on, David. Well, from your perspective, how did the lawsuits this summer, which came on the heels of separate legal headaches for state regulators last year, and challenged the state's conditional licensing program for marijuana retailers, impact the speed and scope of the effort to set up a marijuana marketplace in New York? Yeah, I mean, it was really like the ultimate punch in the gut because you know, you had a very slow start to the stores rolling out in the beginning of this year. And we started to see a lot of momentum this summer. You know, we started to see some good sales from the processors and distributors and growers were really starting to get traction in stores. And, you know, when that came down, I had two clients in New York City, one on uh, 125th Street, Gotham Buds in Harlem, and the other one in Astoria, Turpros, who were days away from getting ready to do final inspections and opening their doors. So they had staff trained, everything built out, rent was was being paid. So for it to happen right then and for everyone to be so close, it was um, it was crushing. So it's my understanding that the Cannabis Control Board members are privy to the settlement they signed off on, but the public wasn't made aware at the time of the board meeting what's included in the settlement. So as we speak on Tuesday morning, have you seen the agreement? And if not, do you have a sense of what it might include? Yeah, no, I, I haven't seen the, the agreement. I mean, I have a pretty good sense of, of what it might include at least the overarching idea is that the card program is no longer going to be enjoined, right? And that's assuming that the, the, the judge signs off on the settlement, but that these licenses will no longer be prohibited. Well, essentially the OCM will no longer be prohibited from further processing of these licenses. In terms of what the plaintiffs got, I mean, yeah, remember there's actually two different sets of plaintiffs right. here. You have the Coalition for Safe Access of Cannabis, and that's mostly the, the large um, multi-state operators, the ROs. And then the veterans. So I, I believe that they got different things, maybe licenses, speedy, you know, transition to licenses, certain assurances from the office. I, I don't know. And, and I also don't know if, if we will ever fully know what some of the terms of the settlement was. Well, thinking about the plaintiff side of things and putting on my conspiratorial hat for a second, do you think that the approach that state regulators have taken to letting medical marijuana companies into the retail space could be their way of signaling for the medical marijuana companies who had their own lawsuit uh, that, hey, we, we hear your concerns and this is our way to, to quell uh, your pushback? Yeah. I mean, you know, I've been involved before the MRTA had passed, the cannabis law had passed, and we're working on the cannabis extract law. And since the MRTA passed, and even before then through negotiations on the bill, it has always been a dance, a constant negotiation, I think, between regulators and the larger medical companies and the smaller operators, the hemp operators as well, in terms of what everyone's going to get. This negotiation has played out through several iterations of regulations in terms of the timing and their speed to market. And eventually, it looked like a couple of the of the, the medical companies just were fed up. They weren't happy with what they were getting and, and wanted to try to start strong on the state. 
And largely, I think they were they were decently successful. I mean, they were able to pause the issuance of retail licenses that, that would have been some of their major competition for a significant amount of time. But also, they are in the process of transitioning into vertically integrated operators, which, by the way, David, it was always going to happen. It was written into the law. They were going to be vertical. They were going to have their stores. It has just been changes along the way in terms of whether it's going to be three years, the end of this year. And so it, it is it is underway, albeit they will have to pay a very large sum of money in order to do so. You mentioned the experience of your own clients and how the lawsuit uh, impacted them. We've seen reports that more than 400 provisional retail licensees have been impacted by this delay. So now that there is a settlement, assuming it is, as you said, approved by a judge, does that mean the floodgates are going to open right as soon as the deal is signed and you know filed away? Or do you anticipate there will still be a drip, drip, drip to the opening of new dispensaries? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great question. I do think it's going to be staggered. I think we might get a flurry of some activity right at the beginning and then you know, stores opening over time. Before this injunction came down, they had issued a significant amount of licenses more, right? And so we don't really have much idea of how many of those license holders, uh, how close they were to being ready, whether they have capital, access to capital, they can open their store, whether they're intending to go through the DASNY process. So I think you have several dozen stores at least. And I know of a client myself who could open in a matter of weeks once this you know, decision is, is ordered and, and the OCM starts processing. You know, essentially, when the injunction came down, I believe it was, it was August 7th, it was pencils down at the OCM for every single card licensee. And so there's this really kind of, it, it, it's a difficult process to go from getting your provisional card license to actually getting your final license number and being inspected. There's a whole net second application process. There's investigations into the owners, tax clearance forms, and then the physical requirements to actually open your space. And so for most, that was paused. But what had been happening through this lawsuit was the, the judge was issuing exemptions to the injunction, or at least hearing uh, pitches for exemptions from uh, whether it's the interveners or the off-campus management themselves. And so there are stores that had opened during this process and stores that are very close and had thought that they were going to get an exemption themselves. So To to answer your question, I think we're going to have, by the end of the year, um, we're going to have a flurry of activity of new stores opening. That's fantastic. That's going to be great for the supply chain. And then we're going to start to really see how close some of these other um, licensees really were to being able to open. And and if this pause had just completely ruined their plans, maybe they lost the property and the staff and they have to reset. Well, for listeners just joining us, you're listening to the Capitol Press Room, and we're speaking with Kaylin Kastetter, the Managing Director of the Kastetter Cannabis Group, which advises players in New York's cannabis market. So the impacted licensees here are business owners who were impacted by the war on drugs. Either they had a marijuana arrest in their past or were closely related to someone who had one. And this is part of a state effort to sort of reverse the impacts of the war on drugs by giving these players a a first mover advantage into the marijuana marketplace. 
But because of the holdups, we're now in a licensing process right now where non-social justice applicants are being considered. So are these people, as the result of the delays, whether it's from the lawsuits or other state snafus, essentially going to lose their first mover advantage in this space? Uh, I mean, to a certain extent, yeah, that first mover advantage, you know, the past four or five months of the injunction, you know, that is time lost. It's money lost. I mean, tens of millions of dollars wiped off the table These entrepreneurs and also for the growers, processors who are making products, right? We're never going to get that back. Um, but the first mover advantage, let's be clear, is definitely for the illicit shops. They have this, this first mover advantage. So the legal marketplace is going to evolve. It's going to become more robust, and it's going to become the only marketplace over time. It's a matter of how long it takes to get there. Um, and I'm not really sure how important that, that first mover advantage really is. I think what's important is, is that these entrepreneurs get into a situation that's stable, where they have a good supply of products, a diverse array of products, where they can access the consumer, they can compete on price. So there's other things that that need to happen, I think, you know, along you know, regulatory and, and legislative side in order to set them up for success beyond just giving them a license and, and being first, because not really first. There's millions of New Yorkers who are consuming cannabis and buying cannabis on a daily basis. Well, you mentioned the illegal market, which represents the vast, vast, vast majority of the marijuana sales in New York. Does it seem to you like the best way to combat that illegal market is simply by opening up more legal dispensaries so that there can be some competition and that they can eventually edge out the illegal market? Absolutely. I mean, I think that in hand with some of the civil enforcement we've seen in parts of upstate New York, but, you know, Sheriff Miranda and, and, and New York City has is, is, is done a decent job at, at, at coming after these illicit um, stores because they do they are going to have to pay, right? You have to impose these civil fines and, and that has to be part of it. But yeah, I mean, it's displacement, you know, and access, right? A New Yorker needs to be able to find, you know, regulated product in a way that's accessible to themselves, whether that's upstate, that means something different because you should be able to drive there and, um, and, and it shouldn't be, you know, in, a, in another county away or another city away. And in New York City, that could mean that it's around the block, right? And so certain regulations need to change in order to allow for uh, greater access and also price parity, right? The potency tax right now is completely destroying these retailers and the cultivation process ability to compete with the illicit market because it's such a large amount of the price that's being inflated. And, you know, they're also, you know, and we heard during the, the Senate testimony recently that, uh, that, that that subcommittee convened that, you know, illegal stores are kind of fighting with an arm tie behind their back when it comes to packaging, marketing, labeling, and advertising, right? The, their ability to advertise and market really isn't there. And so what I would love to see is the state to you know, relax some of those rules, reform some of the regulations that are in place, and say, go out there and compete. We're going to allow you to compete on price. We're going to allow you to market within reason, just like we do with, with alcohol, and go show that you run a better business than these illicit shops. Well, except around the margins of New York's marijuana system, state lawmakers have been really reticent to pass any substantive, holistic marijuana legislation since 2021, despite the industry crying for additional relief. So do you feel like there's any actual movement in Albany to take on the plethora of 
issues that were raised at that recent Senate hearing as we look ahead for the 2024 legislative session? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, just conversations with, with members and staff. I mean, they're here to support the industry of a wide coalition of support, whether that's upstate, downstate, you know, um, from the agricultural committees in the assembly and Senator finance and Senator Cooney has been doing a fantastic job. I think they want to work hand in glove with the office of cannabis management. They did pass a, a statute. Uh, the cannabis law is complex. It has very lofty goals and some mandates um, that are difficult to implement. And so I, I think that they, they want to work together. They didn't want to preempt the office's work over the past couple of years, but it's, it's time we need to get tax reform and there need, there is other uh, laws that need to be reformed and clarified and things, frankly, that have come up that were very difficult to foresee as a lawmaker um, when they were crafting the MRTA. Um, and I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of willingness on, on part of lawmakers to do it. And I think this session, we're going to see uh, some significant progress and some, some significant initiatives as well. And but a lot of these solutions are regulatory, and I would really like to see the office look back at some of these regulations. The first piece of regulation that they passed was the packaging, marketing, labeling, advertising rights. That needs to be changed. But I do think that there is appetite from lawmakers to say, hey, if the office isn't going to change, then you know maybe we're going to put something in statute. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. We've been speaking with Kaylin Kastetter. They're the managing director of the Kastetter Cannabis Group, which advises players in New York's cannabis market. Kaylin, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, and, and thanks for the great show. I'm a daily listener. your business, agency, or service interested in delivering your message to more than two dozen radio stations statewide carrying Capital Press Room? If so, visit capitalpressroom.org to contact our underwriting team.